0: book one chapter four of round the block by john bell bootin this sleeper recording is in the public domain Quig. during the following two weeks up to new year's day the three friends made little progress in their observations the tall girl in the immense skirts appeared rarely to reward matthew maltboy's ardent gaze and even then seemed to look down at the dingy snow beneath or the clouds overhead or to something or somebody across the way but never to the fluttering malt-boy nothing more was seen of the pale and gray-haired workman for he kept the lower curtain of his window jealously drawn but at night his shadow strongly projected on the curtain was in incessant motion and far into the morning hours a gigantic head and arms shifted and blended upon it in grotesque forms At the other window of the workman's apartment the young girl often sat, book in hand, and moved her lips as if she were reading aloud. Her eyes were never seen to wander to the outer world, with those longings for freedom and fresh air which are natural to the youthful heart, but were always fixed upon the book or upon some object within the room. She was entirely unconscious of the distant and imperfect scrutiny to which her form and movements were subjected by Marcus Wilkeson, who had begun to take a strange interest in her, and in the shadow on the curtain, since the healthy and amiable old gentleman directly opposite had ceased to smoke his pipe and indulge in his tranquil meditation daily. Twice only had he shown himself, and then... After a grave bow to Marcus Wilkeson, who returned it with more than the usual inclination of head, the old gentleman had taken a few whiffs at his pipe, looked out of the window with a troubled air, and vanished from the sight of his sympathizing observer, as if the quiet old sitting-place had lost its charm for him, the young man, the disturbing element of the old gentleman's life, as Marcus Wilkeson regarded him was not again seen in the room where he had made his first appearance, but was discovered several days after that event, sitting at a table near a window in the second story and writing industriously. His labors were evidently not disagreeable, for after an hour's engagement with his pen, he would sit back in his chair, laugh, take a long drink from a black bottle which stood at his elbow, and light a fresh cigar whatever his occupation he was completely absorbed in it and did not notice the pair of keen eyes peering at him from behind a book in the house opposite every afternoon about three o'clock the young man sat at the table with his bottle cigars and writing materials and pursued his pleasant labors marcus wilkeson would never have pretended it was not highly improper to watch one's neighbors He would have denounced it as deserving of the severest reprobation, but he would have said that if, while he was sitting, according to his invariable custom, at his own window for the sole purpose of reading a book, people chose to bring themselves within the range of his vision, he was not therefore under obligations to vacate his seat. He would have insisted that any glances which he might have directed at his neighbors were so leveled in fits of mental abstraction, or in the exercise of a friendly regard for them. The overtop theory he discarded as fallacious, and likely to get its talented founder into trouble. That founder and his only follower, Maltboy, were determined, however, to put the new social system into practice on New Year's Day and had secured the ready services of quigg the grocer as originally proposed by the sagacious overtop marcus wilkeson obstinately refused to participate in this projected grand tour which refusal was too bad said overtop because the fourth seat in the double sleigh that had been hired for the occasion would be left vacant at last came new year's day and the sky was cloudless and the sun was bright, and the weather was just cold enough to make the blood tingle pleasantly, and the snow was a foot deep and well beaten down in the side streets, the elements themselves had conspired to give the overtop theory every chance of success. J. M. Quigg, grocer, was elaborately attiring himself in the snug sleeping room behind his store at ten o'clock on the morning of that eventful day he little knew the tremendous importance of the part which he was about to perform he looked upon overtop and maltboy not as the expounders of a new social philosophy but as cash customers to a considerable extent and as partners in defraying the heavy expenses of a large double team mr quigg exercised the virtue of prudence even in his dissipations and derived pleasure from the reflection that he would make his annual round of complimentary calls in an elegant turnout at a moderate cost therefore mr quigg hummed pleasantly as he dressed himself by the aid of a large mirror which he had taken for a bad debt and which was the only ornament of the plainly furnished little room mr quigg was a man of business and never fretted with cravats nor made himself unhappy on the subject of hair. Three turns and a pull adjusted the former, and a half dozen well-directed dabs with a stiff brush regulated the latter. Fifteen minutes after he began his toilet, he took a comprehensive view of himself in the large mirror and mentally expressed the conviction that, for a man of thirty-seven, he was not bad looking. Quick was right and his just opinion of himself was shared by the young widows and unmarried ladies of his acquaintance he was about six feet high with a graceful figure and the head of a statesman a more intellectual face and a broader or more massive brow assisted perhaps in its general effect by a slight baldness or rarely if ever seen a distinguished professor of phrenology had picked out quigg's head from among half an acre of heads at a lecture upon that subject in the city and had pronounced it the model head greatly to the disgust of all the other large skulled men in the hall the professor had also assured quigg upon learning who and what he was that it was a solemn duty he owed to society to abandon the grocery business and devote himself to philosophical culture and the true expansion of his interior individuality. Notwithstanding this flattering opinion, Quigg still sanded his sugar and reduced his whiskey, and found his delight as well as his profit in these gross material pursuits. The interior Quigg, of whom the professor had spoken so hopefully, was still undeveloped, The professor's views of Quigg's head had, however, made a deep impression upon the owner of it, and had given to Quigg's ordinary observations on the weather, the state of his health, and the other familiar topics to which his remarks were principally addressed, an oracular importance in his own opinion. Such were the deceptive effects produced by his large, polished brow, and slow, imposing speech that he always seemed to be on the point of uttering vital truths but the listener's ear ached in vain for them quigg put on his overcoat took a small glass of bitters from a bottle kept behind the large mirror locked up the store proceeded to the nearest restaurant hastily dispatched a lean unsatisfactory chop and a cup of weak tea gave a half-dime to the waiter who bade him in a loud and significant voice, Happy New Year, sir, and then returning found the double sleigh punctual to appointment. It was a swan-shaped vehicle, brightly painted, thickly covered with buffalo robes, and drawn by two high-stepping horses, which tossed their heads and shook their bells merrily as if they shared in the prevailing joviality of the day. On the front seat, and nearly filling up the whole width of the sleigh, sat the driver. His shoulders were broad enough for two men, his legs and arms were of twice the common size, and he seemed to be double in all his dimensions, like the sleigh. "'Hello, Quig,' said the driver, in a voice of double strength, snapping his whip playfully at that gentleman as he approached. "'Hello to you, Cap,' returned Quig pleasantly it is a very fine day i guess there will be a great many calls made quigg uttered these words slowly as if they were precious and he hated to part with them shouldn't wonder answered cap which was a short name for captain nobody knew of what and added without any apparent sequence of ideas i s'pose you're goin to take some brandy along old fellow it's hardly fair for me to be sittin' into the cold outside with nothin' to drink while you chaps are drinkin' your champagne punch before a warm fire. Mr. Quigg reflected a moment as one who reckons up profit and loss. He then said, A good idea, Cap. Brandy is not a bad thing on a cold day. He spoke with impressive solemnity. Or any other day, added the driver, particularly lection day leastways such was the opinion of the voters into my ward last december when i run for school inspector you know unfortunately i didn't know the ropes then and thought when i got the nomination i was sure to be elected my opponent issued tickets for free drinks at all the rum mills into the ward i didn't find out his game until about two o'clock in the afternoon and then i tried it myself but i was too late He had six hours' start of me, and beat me by five hundred drinks, I mean votes. Mr. Quigg nodded and said, of course, as if he had often heard of such instances, and there was nothing surprising in them. He then abruptly cut off the captain's political reminiscences by unlocking the store and entering it. After a few minutes' absence he returned with a half-gallon jug and a tin dipper, A nice fat little feller rapturously exclaimed Captain Tonkins, taking the proffered jug, placing it in the bottom of the sleigh, where such of the public as were stirring in that vicinity could not see the operation. He half-filled the tin dipper, and raising it suddenly to his mouth, drank the contents with a double gulp. Prime stuff, that, said the captain, smacking his lips. A hogshead of it would make a school commissioner an alderman, maybe a general of you, Quigg. I dare say, said Quigg, but what would a dull practical fellow like me be good for in public life? This was Quigg's habitual way of deprecating himself, and it always impressed the hearer with a sense of Quigg's eminent ability. Quigg then drew a pair of yellow gloves on his large, hairy hands, slightly ripping the two thumbs and most of the fingers in the operation. Took a seat in the double sleigh and proclaimed himself ready to start. Chapter four.